take seven. Take seven what? Olivia. Sorry I'm so late. The flight was a horror. Oh, no. Bad weather? Baseball movie. Oh. So sorry. Yeah. That's enough small talk, don't you think? scary mary i gotta say the reason i chose this clip to kind of start our discussion is because it was it's the last dialogue before the gentlemen take the voices from the town of sunnydale uh in the television show buffy the vampire slayer season four episode 10's episode hush um and i love this because her line olivia's line is enough small talk and so much of the dialogue that starts this episode, actually, I would say 95% of it is all about communication, all about talking, all about how we're, you know, not communicating well or uh, things are hidden um, by talking around certain things. And what I love about Olivia's entrance, she comes in, she's like, yeah, I watched a shitty movie on a plane. Enough small talk. Just fuck me. And it's brilliant. And uh, just kind of gets to the point of the episode of just like, no, we have to we, we forget talk, right? There's so many other ways to communicate. Well, and and what happens when you can't talk? And I feel like, mm. uh, yeah, it was. Yeah, I felt like that was an interesting setup of like, here's all these mundane everyday places where there's like communication breakdowns, where people are not talking or they're not sharing what the truth is, and now it's it. It was very much almost like an O. Henry story of like, oh, but what if now you couldn't speak? Now wouldn't you want to be honest, you know? Mm. Yeah. No. Yeah. What uh, What don't, to, what not to do? How to lose a guy in 10 days. Yes. How to lose a guy in 10 days. How to lose your voice in 44 in minutes. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So, Mary, is this actually your first Buffy the Vampire Slayer episode? I think essentially yes. I feel like it's very possible one snuck in there a long time ago. But as far as you know, uh, a memory that I didn't like barf out in Peru ten years ago, I feel like uh, yeah, this is probably my really actual first Buffy episode. Well, I have two questions for you. Number one, do you have any questions about context that maybe? you didn't understand in terms of the characters. Maybe you didn't research it. You waited for this conversation. And did you like the episode? So I don't know, whichever order you want to answer those questions in. Well, I feel like, you know, it, uh, let's, let's clear the, I, I did enjoy the episode. I felt like it had very strong. Are you afraid of the dark? I don't think, mm. I, I think I just had a stroke. Are you afraid of the dark vibes? I don't know what happened. I just lost a few consonants there in the exchange. Um, and that I really enjoyed. I really think, like, once the gentleman showed up, like, it just, it was big, like, big are, are you afraid of the dark energy? And that I really enjoyed. I felt like I didn't need too much context to kind of, like, right. get into it. And I actually, like, kind of enjoyed not having context because at first, for example, I was like, so the British professor and the bleach blonde vampire now live together. They both read a little gay. So mm. I was 
surprised then when his when his uh, you know British girlfriend showed up, and um, otherwise I knew who Xandra was. I knew who Willow was. I did not really know who Riley was. He seems to be some new love interest of Buffy's, who's also like part of some hidden military operation that's being partially controlled by Buffy's professor Lindsay Krause. Yes, correct. Yeah, and Lindsay Krause, who I know from, you know, it's, of course, there's an older woman or something. Know her. How, yeah. how do I know Lindsay Krause? I know Lindsay Krause because she played the mom in Indian in the Cupboard. Oh, my God. You mean Native American in the Cupboard? Well, listen, I'm just reading what's in the quotes here, honey, you know? Um <laughs> the indigenous person in the cupboard. We don't want to assume that's right, that's right. anything. Yeah, we don't know that they're Native American. That's right. We don't know that they're man. Or we, so we just want to be like very clear. The indigenous two spirit who lives in the closet. Um, uh, with with what, wasn't that, like his name Omri 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 Katz? No, that was Omri, Omri Katz was the name. No, his in in the movie his name was Omri, but then I confuse him with Omri Katz, who was the kid who was in Hocus Pocus, right? Uh, I don't know. Hocus Pocus. That's not a character's name in Hocus Pocus. No, it's a it's an actor's name. Why do I know right. who Omri? Okay. What was he in that I'm thinking of? Oh, he was. He was in Hocus Pocus. Got it. Sounds like a bunch of Hocus Pocus. Sounds like a bunch of Hocus Pocus. But now I'm realizing that even though I've seen Hocus Pocus and we've talked about it, I think in my mind I had just put Devin Sawa there, but he's not in Hocus Pocus. No, he's, he's in, in Casper, Casper, which yeah. I've never seen. You've never seen Casper? Nope. Nope. Oh. Just, I, yeah. I don't know. I don't know what it would be like to watch that as an adult. But, um, yeah, Christina Ricci's, uh, you know, adorable in it. And Devin Sawa comes in at the end. And when you were a young girl, you were like, ah, you know, because he was also uh-huh. a young boy. Um, it's weird when adults are like, Devin Sawa was so hot in Casper. I'm like, stop. <laughs> yeah. He was 13. Um so in the movie, the Native American Two-Spirit in the Closet, uh, Omri was the name of the main character, and he was played by Hal Scardino. I mean, oh. talk about a name where you have to immediately be 47. Well, anyway, yes, uh, Lindsay Krause plays uh, Buffy's professor. That's correct. Um, just some context for you about Spike and Giles, uh, who's the English professor. He's actually Buffy's watcher. Um, and by a watcher, it means, I mean, if you ever saw Buffy the Vampire Slayer, the movie, every Slayer is assigned a watcher from the Watcher's Council who helps Buffy kind of figure out her power and um, helps keep her safe and tells her, you know, about this lore and this demon and whatnot. So he's something of an expert when it comes to uh, demon hunting and demon killing um, and supports Buffy in all of that. Um He's also the librarian at her high school and now has followed her to college, obviously. Um, But with Spike, so Spike got a chip inserted into his brain by the the military operation that Riley is a part of. They put a chip in his brain so that he can't attack humans. And uh, Giles is, uh, is taking care of Spike of sorts so that he doesn't get further, um, you know, uh, I guess experiments put on him. I see. But at night he's got to tie him down. Waka waka. Um, because he might still get, you know, a bit of the, a bit of the wandering teeth. Is that what, is that what's going on there? They don't know any, they don't know enough about the chip. So they're afraid 
that something will happen. Yeah, that's right. Got it. Got it. Well, so that was happening. And then meanwhile, Xander, who I recognize, he and his girlfriend, who is that Tara or Anya? Anya. Anya, he and his girlfriend, they, I mean, this was something that really stuck out because this episode came out in 1999 and there is that sort of Dawson's Creek um, take on sex, like a WB show from the late nineties where, Mm. you know, they're, they're having relationship problems and Anya says, all he cares about is orgasms. And to me, like, it's just, it's such a silly, like, it's so silly. Like, I don't know when I think of sex, like an orgasm is like. That's like dessert at the end of the meal. It's like, sure, if I've got room, but I've been doing a lot of eating. You know what I mean? And so it's just so funny that like that basic idea of like, well, he all he cares about is orgasms, you know? Well, the context for that relationship, I don't know if you understood this, but Anya used to be a demon. Oh. And so Anya is learning how to be a human. So everything that Anya does is actually a brilliant commentary on humanity and socialization. There's actually a beautiful scene of her. She has a beautiful monologue in another very fabulous episode of Buffy the Empire Slayer called The Body. And she is trying to wrap her head around why she's feeling grief and 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 love and and what's going on oh it's one of the most beautiful monologues um but anyway so that's her whole thing and so the other thing that is interesting about her communication style with xander and xander's like uh i thought i told you like don't talk about this stuff in front of my friends yada 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 because she doesn't know that that stuff's kind of inappropriate so her using the word orgasms like it's because she doesn't know any other word you know oh i see i feel like there's like I don't know. I feel like you could, you, I mean, I'm sure lots of people, I mean, Evan Ross Katz wrote a fucking book about it. You could read into all sorts of things. And for some reason, as you talk about that, I just think, oh, is Anya on the spectrum? Oh, oh, Mary, like there, whenever I watch this as a neurodivergent person, I see that. I'm just like, yeah, I have questions like that too. Yep. Absolutely. Makes sense. Why are you yeah. doing that? Yeah. Yeah. So that that's like I could see like, oh, I see how you could make these connections um, or like read the deeper meaning of the show. Uh, sure. And I'm sure I mean, anything with vampirism and vampirism. I don't know how to pronounce that. Um, I learned from reading, but anything with vampires and blood and, and urges and, you know, I've got this illness like gays can jump on that right away, you know. Oh, completely. And Mary, as we're talking about books that were written about Buffy the Vampire Slayer, I'm looking at four of them right now. One of them is for Into Every Generation, A Slayer is Born by Evan Ross Katz. The other three, which I highly recommend as well, are um, it's uh, this it's called Why Why Buffy Matters by Rhonda Wilcox. Um, that kind of just talks about the artistry that goes on in that uh, book, in that show. Um, And then the other one is a collection of essays um, about philosophy and Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Um, The other one that I love is called Buffy. uh, What is it? Buffy ballads and bad guys who sing. And it's all about the music in the world of Joss Whedon. Um, And yeah, I, 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 people, geek out about this stuff mary so um as you are just watching this episode and you're like well i is kind of on the spectrum right like mary i'm sure there's 18 amazing essays about that very topic yeah uh well good then i'm glad that i'm not just reading into it you know when you when you say about the music and buffy i'm wondering if that includes the part in the opening theme song where it goes (laughs) 
Mary, <laughs> okay, let's part. talk about this opening <laughs> sequence. So it is notorious. And I say that word purposefully. It is like aggressively loud because, I mean, the, usually there's like a cold opener uh, with Buffy the Vampire Slayer because it was a television show. And then it's, just, you know, it's just like, la, 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 la. And then, yes, and it's every time <laughs> it is. And, I, and that I'd heard before. And I think there was a part of me. It was just like, I think that's one of those things that like at first it's like, what? And then like, you just have to keep hearing it. And then you're like, oh, I, I now I will never skip the opening credits because I only ever want right. to hear the. That's exactly what happens. And the other thing that makes it exciting is that each season there's new clips to see which mm-hmm. clips they choose is fun. Um, and sometimes they go with the music. There's one clip that I love of Buffy dancing. I think she's actually dancing as Faith um, at the bronze and her her arms are over her head. I'm just like, ah, I just love that one clip of Buffy. It's so good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Where it like syncs up. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. There's also, I think that, you know, and why I bring that up is also like the – it it did bring me back to that late 90s WB era of television. Mm. And it's yes. just such a very specific, because we're talking Dawson's Creek, Seventh Heaven, Garmer Garbs, Buffy. I think some people were into like Roswell. Like this was an era, because this is like when the WB first became the WB and it was like, you know, look what I got, you know? Well, I remember when this this show first came out and it was like, there was a uh, feminist backlash when it came out um, because they were like, oh, it's just, you know, this thin blonde and skin tight outfits, you know, kicking butt. Right. And people were like, eh, it's, you know, bleh. and then people are like, oh, actually, no, that's pretty awesome that she's a blonde and she has a brain and she's kicking butt. Right. And taking care of herself. Then there's like a whole other backlash about the narratives that Joss Whedon's uh, story story arcs were telling about women and, you know, obviously the things that came out of how he treated certain people on set. Um, but anyway, that's a whole other topic of discussion. Um, but yes, it is very much kind of that late nineties, early two thousands um, it lives in that uh, the the dialogue, uh, particularly um, the outfits. I mean, I just live not only for Willow's outfits, but um, Buffy's outfits. Um, the opening dream sequence when she's wearing that like light oh. blue top and, and like, that the long pants. Ugh. Well, it was a it was a skirt. I think it was a skirt. It was a long, was it a skirt? Oh my! It was God, a long just, skirt with a pattern with a sort of print towards the bottom and those yes. boots, giving yes. me Delia's. Delia's, yes, Mary, yes, limited yeah. to or just the limited. Even. Yeah, uh, just the, yeah, she's in a limited range. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, just limited. on that note of like, obviously Buffy's also inspired by the character from the 1992 movie. So that's like, you know, if you've got a problem with it, like that's the source. Ma- Is that the source material, or was there like a comic book before that or something? No, that's the source material. That's the source material. Okay. Um, And so it's like, it also comes from that, but it's also you have to think about it. Like, she's a vampire slayer. She's not going to be like an obese person in a wheelchair. I'm sorry, but she's not. If it was like Buffy, the like mild-mannered librarian, then go to town. But like, she has to be fit. She's got to be able to fight vampires. She's literally in the name of the show. I think that they the critique was like you're just this is a cash uh, a catch grab this is a grab for 
you know, teenage boys. And it's, uh, you know, of course, it's another thin white gay blonde woman. Boys. You know, those kinds of things. <laughs> exactly, Mary. Exactly. Yeah. This is a gay show. Like, this was gay. And it, and it never wasn't gay. And especially this episode. This is the first episode where we, I mean, you could track Willow's lesbianism, like, from the from the very beginning, obviously. But this is the first time where there is, like, a meaningful connection, literally, uh, physically and emotionally, between Willow and a woman. Um, so it's also a very notable episode in the series. Mm. Well, and that's, you know, interesting. The episode where people can't speak is also the episode where Alice and Hannah or Willow, Willow is, like, starting to, um, uh, you know, I don't know, uh, display her, mm. uh, you know, or communicate some of her, her you know, lady-on-lady lady, uh, urges or interests. Um, watching this as not a little gay boy, but as a gay man, the idea of watching this, like, hot blonde girl like kicking ass i feel like we see that like not to jump ahead too much but like we see her like stop that one guy from fighting the other guy like after one lost her voice but then it's not until like another like five or ten minutes where we see her fighting off those like straight jacket guys and that's like mm -hmm. the first time in the episode where we see buffy like going full vampire slayer right. and i just it was like a full body reaction. I was like, oh, you better work, bitch. You better yes. work, bitch. You yes. better work. Yes. And I just, yeah. something just yeah. tingled. And I was like, oh, I forgot you fight. Yeah. And yeah, she's it was so, so powerful. Yeah. yeah. And it was so fulfilling to watch that. And I was like, oh, I, this is like, in, in this episode, it's interesting because you kind of see the way Buffy fights this, the way that Riley fights this, the way that Willow and ultimately Tara fight this, like they all each also kind of approach this challenge in a different way. Mm, without words. Without words. And even, you know, cause it's like Buffy's got to use, you know, uh, her, her, her little bow and arrow thing's not going to work. So Buffy's got to, she's got to figure out how to fight, fight these guys. And then Willow's going to learn how to be a witch to fight these guys. And Riley's going to try to use his weapons and the government. And, you know, Giles is going to like look things up in a book. And it's just like, everybody has their way of, of slaying the vampires. Oh yeah. Of slaying <laughs> their demons. You know? Right. Well, there it is, Mary. Yeah, yeah. no, I, this is one of my favorite, if not, I'm pretty sure this is my favorite. Many people will be like, but Johnny the body, but Johnny conversation with dead people. Like uh, I, I understand there's so many other great episodes, the musical episode. Right. But uh, I think this is one of my favorite episodes only because of how connected I, it is to my seventh grade self, right. Where I, or however old I was, what well, was eighth grade um, where I, maybe it was ninth grade even, but I, yeah. Cause I was in eighth grade. It, yeah. I started watching Buffy the Vampire Slayer actually like sort of middle of season three and I didn't really like wake up to it and and start um, VHS recording the episodes um, until season four. Season four, for whatever reason, is when I was like really committed to Buffy the Vampire Slayer and it wasn't until this episode where I was like, I think this show is a lot smarter than I am right now. And mm -hmm. yet I, I was like, well, I'm going to keep watching it to try to understand what is being said here. Because the way that this episode not only says something bigger about just like people in general and communication and the way that it just kind of existed, but where it, what it did for the arc of each character and, and how 
um, uh, it, it, it became a turning point for so many of them. I thought was so brilliantly done. Like they didn't have to do it this way. And yet they did. They chose, this is the, this is the episode where Riley and Buffy kiss for the first time, right? They chose this episode to do that. This is the episode where Willow, you know, realizes she has power with Tara, right? This is the episode that Anya and Xander really like connect, right? There's all of these turning points in the arc of things. It's uh, Buffy, you know, uh, Buffy and Riley, their truths about themselves are revealed without words first. I just thought that was so smart from a a stupid teenage show, you know, about vampires. Yeah, yeah, certainly. I mean, I, I think that was why I never really got into it because I thought it was just like, you know, vampire diaries or supernatural. It was one of these like spooky teen shows where I'm like, I just... Mm. Just not my bag, not my bag of books. Um, but yeah, I mean, obviously there is there is certainly a lot more there. I um, this is like just a random thing, but I I knew at some point that Michelle Trachtenberg, Harriet the Spy, is on this show, and I get kept out, thinking, get out, that, get out. yeah, go ahead. I kept thinking that she was Tara. Oh but, no, no, no! Amber Benson is Tara. She kind of uh, looks Michelle like Trachtenberg. Her. They, yeah, I guess so. Um, Michelle Trachtenberg comes in season five, um, I believe. Yes, that's right. Uh, season five as Buffy's sister. And you might be asking yourself, well, wait, why wouldn't her sister be in the series before that? That's part of who Michelle Trachtenberg's Dawn's character is. She's a creation. Anyway. Uh, long story short. But yeah, she is in the show. She's not introduced until season five. I see. All right. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. I've been on this kick lately where I think, you know what would be great tonight? Reading before bed. Wow. Wild stuff, Mary. And then I get into my little nightgown and Marco gets into his and we crawl into bed and I proceed to watch TikToks for an hour until the melatonin takes the wheel. What happened to the book? Well, I don't know. My brain knows it's a good idea. I'll sleep better. I'll be reading again. It's a nice break from my phone, but I just don't feel like it, I guess. Oh, I know that feeling. It's like there's this great big sign that says, read your book, but then you don't. What is that about? I don't know, Mary, but I feel like there might be something that could help answer that question. If I was a betting man, I'd wager a couple nickels that we're about to talk about therapy. Pay up, Mary. Happily, because you know what? I do love talking about therapy. Marys, if you're also doing any number of things other than the thing you know is good for you, maybe it's time to give better help a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Make your brain your friend with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash AllRightMary today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash AllRightMary. All right, Mary. Um, well, uh, I guess we should, do you want to, do you want to tell people what this, what this is, what this episode's about? Hush. Yeah. Hush. Yeah, sure. So basically the, the town of Sunnydale, um, 
everybody's voice gets taken by these uh, fairy tale mythical figures named the gentlemen. And the gentlemen, their whole thing is that they will destroy the world if they uh, obtain seven hearts. So they come down to the town, they take everybody's voice, and then their whole goal is to steal seven hearts uh, in order to, you know, finish what they started. And uh, obviously so much calamity ensues. People don't know what to do without their voices. They don't know how to communicate. Um, it is only the town of Sunnydale. And it is up to Buffy and the Scoobies to figure out how to defeat the uh, the gentleman. Um, there's also Riley Finn, who is part of the initiative, which is this underground secret demon slaying operation by the government. Um, and they do tests on demons. Um, and Riley and the initiative are also trying to figure out what's going on in the town. It, you know, it's uh, I feel like, you know, it it's. It could be a movie like they could pl- they could stretch this out to like a 75, 80 minute movie if mm-hmm. they wanted to. Um, oh, they yeah. Could really like because I, I think they it takes about it's it's probably less than 15 minutes of setup. I think I looked at it, it was like once the gentlemen show up and the voices are taken. I was like, oh, that was like 12 minutes in. So they set yeah. everything up and then it's like then you just get down to business. Right. There's like a cold open and then act one. And then, yeah, there's no dialogue until the last kind of five minutes. Um, yeah, which I think is also a feat in television, particularly a teenage show. Um, the music was so fabulous. Uh, the, the, their ability to tell the story without any dialogue. I don't know. I think that's also kind of cool. And what I like about this show and doing this for all right, scary is that, yeah, it's, um, it's just notable. It's notable. I also think it, there's a lot of queer themes, uh, in this television show or in this episode because of Willow, obviously, um, and then the gentlemen, Mary, they're these little dandy bottoms, you know, floating around with their dumb tops, just in Ugh. straight jackets <laughs> on wheelie shoes. I mean, it was such hoverboard energy. These these <laughs> gentlemen show up and I was You're like, saying oh. wheelies. I'm thinking they're uh, it's like they're uh, pe- uh, what are they? Pedways. <laughs> oh, like. A, oh, like. A, um. That thing that the guy segway who, segway segway yeah, where yeah, the yeah. the creator drove off a cliff in one. Um, <laughs> yes, they also looked like they were on a segway tour of Washington D.C. I think all that was missing was like the helmets. You know, I'll tell you that's one thing you'll never catch me alive or dead and strapped to one. You'll never catch me doing a segway tour of Washington D.C. Oh, I'll bet if you loved somebody enough, you'd do it with him. Uh, that's a major ick. Like seeing somebody on a Segway, I immediately, it's like, I don't, I am not attracted to this. <laughs> there is, there is little that is less hot than seeing somebody on a Segway. I think that is an incredible test of your marriage. Forget going to Ikea together. Forget any sort of big life change. Take a Segway tour of Washington, D.C. and see if your sex life doesn't get impacted by that. Got it. Well, uh, speaking of segues, uh, the gentlemen are really scary. There's some jump scares. I remember watching this, uh, you know, when it first aired and being like scared of this episode. You know, the imagery, even though it's Are You Afraid of the Dark, you know, kind of production and feel, it's still scary. 
Oh, saying it's Are You Afraid of the Dark means it's sc- Are You Afraid of the Dark was so fucking scary. That yeah, show it was, was so fucking scary. And I felt like, for example, I think for me, the part where I was like, really sitting on the edge of my seat the most was the chase scene with Tara. Tara I was like, yeah. I love you didn't know that scene. Tara was probably going to die. Right. Or maybe you, you knew that she, I had no idea. I assumed she was going to die. Cause I didn't, I, I oh, you did. had it. Oh. I didn't know her. I don't know her. So I right. didn't know what was going to happen. And, uh, so yeah, I thought she, cause we had already seen one guy lose his heart. So I thought, well, mm. here's co-ed number two. And, uh, she put up a good chase. It was, uh, that was a very tense scene. I love the twist. Oh, I love the twist when she's knocking on the door and they cut to Willow being like, oh shit, I better answer the door. And then they go back to Tara and she's knocking on the door and it opens and it's one of the gentlemen. I was like, oh, I didn't see it coming. <laughs> I mean, that was like, it was practically an homage to Silence of the Lambs when Clarice goes to the oh, Buffalo sure. Bill's house and you think mm-hmm. that it's the FBI arriving at his house. Um, right, right, that was, right. Yeah. Yes, Mary, yes. Yeah. Yes. Uh, so I thought that was really cool and, uh, yeah, it was, that was all a great sequence. And then, yeah, then there was this, this sort of witchcraft moment where Willow was channeling her inner Carrie White with the power of, uh, Sue Snell over (laughs) here. Yeah. Yeah, To move that candy machine in front of the door. Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. Yeah. No, I mean, speaking of like Willow's journey here, right. She joins that Wiccan group, which I I can't wait to talk about with you. Um, and her biggest complaint is like, man, they're all these, like, they're all talk. They're all talk and there's no action. And I just love that in relation to the theme of the episode being that like talk is cheap or talk isn't the only thing you need that, uh, yeah, Willow didn't need words to connect with Tara about being a witch and becoming powerful. And, and you know uh leveling up if you will it also reminded me i hear that and it also reminded me of like willow going to the wiccan group reminded me of like going to the like you know the gay club or whatever whatever it's called the rainbow alliance you know on campus uh-huh, the lgbt and, like group on campus yeah yep gay straight alliance whatever you want to call it and thinking oh this is where i'm gonna find my people this is where i'm gonna make mm-hmm. these connections and it, and it's just like it's just not and it ends up being just like a whole bunch of nothing but then you this is more likely how you're going to find those people is these like random moments you know it's not going to be in the gay straight alliance yeah you'll maybe you'll find one person there also that is not feeling the vibe and then you guys Mm -hmm. will vibe together yeah right right now and and i just had not recalled was was tara had we met her in that meeting yeah, that was the first time we met Tara with the crisscross uh, uh, hair part and, uh, and all. Mm-hmm. So so that's the introduction of her. Got it. Got it. Got it. Yeah, that's um, the first time we meet her. It's also, um, I, I don't know, that scene is so interesting to me. Um, you know, the, the granola Wiccan, uh, I have scented candles, you know, I bake empowering lemon buns. Um, mm-hmm. And yet they are so mean to Tara. I just thought that was such an interesting choice of writing, like what they were showing us there is that this could be this kind of loving group. But at the end of the day, like in all communities, right, there's there's always some kind of ugliness. Right. And that is a perfect example. Like they were God, they were so mean to her. And I feel like you hear that about it's like this weird thing where these 
these sort of genteel groups like a little knitting bee or a book club or like uh, you know a Wiccan group or like one you think is implicitly inclusive it's like oh they have the worst drama yeah like they have the worst though drama, that's right. there is yeah. so much Facebook fighting you know uh-huh. like this that was the energy that I was getting was like oh actually those groups that purport to be like oh you know come find your tribe is is really like a fucking fight club yeah very interesting to think about um, but I love Tara. Um, Tara is a major character in this series, so you should know that, that uh, this is the start of the relationship between Willow and Tara. Um, And yeah, yeah, Tara only grows in power, as does Willow. Both of them are incredibly powerful witches. And I love that they realize kind of that they're powerful, um, that they, you know, are able to fully express themselves when they can't talk. Again, just another brilliant aspect of this episode i'm going to keep going back to that so just get ready i'm ready i mean does does this mean that over time like willow kind of like fully leses out because like the the big lesbian energy of allison hannigan slash willow rosenberg is overwhelming oh completely so she definitely leses out there's a flash actually not a flashback but there's a an aspect there's a, a, a an episode of this show where the the regular Willow and the regular Buffy see their like Hellmouth versions of themselves, and what Willow says about her Hellmouth version, she's like, "Oh yeah, I met I met Hellmouth Willow. She was a little gay," which is like this little Easter egg in the show. Oh, um, Willow also. Uh, yes, she becomes very powerful, I believe, and Marys will definitely correct me, but I am under the impression that Willow and Tara was the first gay kiss on primetime TV. Oh, wow. Because uh, there was, I feel, no, I, guess, I was like, was there one on Ellen? I know she came out, but I don't know if there was ever a kiss. Um, I don't think there was a kiss. No. Yeah, I don't know. Um, well, uh, I feel like there's a lot of Buffy Marys out there. Let us know. Because I feel like when I think back on that era, it's like I wasn't watching Buffy, but I was watching Dawson's Creek, and I was very secretly invested in the character of Jack, who was gay. Well, of course. Yes. He, Kara Smith. Blind. I'm sorry. He was gay. So I mean, he was gay. Um, yeah. But um, he didn't kiss anybody. Oh, God, no. later, maybe? No. Yeah, or, oh, God, no. If that. Okay. Maybe it was a, a tight embrace on a pier, you know? Yeah. Um, I hope Grams away, didn't see right? it. Yeah. yeah, it's like a thing. They used to just cut away whenever gay people were about to kiss. But I believe Buffy the Vampire Slayer uh, is was was the first kind of primetime gay kiss. Uh, that was Willow and Tara. And it started, their relationship started uh, at this episode. Um, so again, another, um, just a an important part of, of Hush. Um, yeah, you know, we also get a lot of collegeness in this series, uh, in this season in particular. Um, I thought you might have some thoughts on like, God, how aggressive the dorm room hallways were. Uh, (laughs) dorm room hallways are in every movie and every television show are, I mean, it, it's like the I don't, it's just insane. It's madness. It is like the autobahn during a typhoon. It is just like you guys are fucking nuts. Like this is, this is insane. Oh I, god! It's just yes. it is. I feel like there is always in in movies with college dorms. There's always people throwing things. There's yep. always someone in a towel. There's uh-huh. always a boombox, and it's just like 
I, I, the thing is, whenever we see these moments, we are always following the characters that are trying to navigate through and away from the chaos, and we're never really with the characters who are producing the chaos. Causing it. Yeah, that's Causing right. it. So, like, the guy who, like gets his boombox out and it's like yeah let's party it's like what do you what went through your mind you just were like i gotta do something here like what was the thought process why kind of like don't you have a room to listen to that in why are you yeah, out here why playing are you... football you know yeah what is yeah the hallways and like let me tell you i went to college and i was even an ra one year and i'm not saying i'm proud oh, of it but god you were the worst was, it, I know I was I was great. I had a terrible no, floor. No, you were terrible. <laughs> I had a single and that's all that mattered. Um the rest of it is a bunch of hocus pocus. But um th- this didn't also also hallways never looked like this. I feel like I I went to the hallways just didn't it didn't look like this sort of old I don't know there isn't crown molding in a dorm. Maybe at Harvard or Yale, you know, I don't but know. But not Sunnydale but University. Not Sunnydale, no. My, I went to the third largest dormitory, I, or I went to, I, I stayed in the third largest dormitory in the country at University of Michigan. It's called Bursley Hall. And if, if the hallways were triple the size, they would be the same size as Sunnydale. I, they're so much closer together. They're narrow. Yeah, uh, in real life, and these are just big. And in movies, in general, the hallways of college dorms are big, so big. Like you know, there's always like move-in day in movies, people moving into college, and it's like yeah. that's a that's a trope. Move-in day move in a day. movie about yeah. college is always madness. Yeah, but it normally is. Although I remember moving in. Oh, I helped my sister Nancy move in and get at Gettysburg, and then. When I moved in, there you had like time slots that you were allowed to. Yep. Yeah, because otherwise it's it's just and it's like a certain madness of like you guys are already like acting up. Like, shouldn't you be like putting your sheets on the bed? You know what I mean? Like, you right, guys are already right. like, shouldn't you be feeling more shy and insecure about being new? Why is everyone uh, so open? Jesus. Anyway, um, I speaking of dorms, right? We get to see their room. You should also know that Willow and Buffy didn't originally room together. Uh, there is a uh, if I were to recommend what to watch next in the same season, I would say start right from the beginning, and you should meet uh, Buffy's first roommate, and then watch until she's no longer her roommate. It's fabulous. It's very gay coded as well, and not that she's a lesbian, but like gay. Pe- she's like a gay icon. The the roommate, and this is like beginning of season four. That's what I mean. Yes, got yes. it, got it. Is this the roommate you were telling me about who like quoted musicals or something? Mm, maybe. I thought there was something. No. there was some roommate. There was you're a, right. Oh, you're on roommate. the right track. Yeah, There's a roommate so who does I'll, something. I'll tell you this. I'll tell you that she's obsessed with Celine Dion. Celine Dion. That's what it was. Yeah. All right. It's uh, it's so good. Anyway, uh, the other thing I love about this room, besides the fact that it's gigantic, um, is the chocolate poster on the door. Oh, I don't remember that. That's okay. Just a little detail some Buffy All right. uh, watchers know about. It's just, uh, it's just something. Ah, uh, that poster. Oh, there it is. You know, it's one of those things. 
Well, I did notice, you know, Buffy and Willow have to share the communal bathroom, you know, and I just think as a slayer, you should get your own onesie. I just think like the least you should be able to do is go when you need to go. You do realize, Mary, hopefully you do realize this, but like her identity is a secret, which is also very queer. Yeah, I mean, listen, there's also something really queer about wanting your own bathroom, but I, <laughs> you know, so then there's that. Yeah. Um yeah. But that's, you know, that was just something I noticed of like, oh, my God, there's Buffy the Vampire Slayer using a communal bathroom. Like, hey, you know, she's a she's a regular high school girl. girl. That was the other part of her story arc is like, yeah, she's also loves to shop. You know, she also struggles. She also wants to date. You know, she wants friends. She wants acceptance. Um, that's also what's beautiful about the first three uh, seasons is that, like, she's also struggling with being an adolescent in high school because high school is also hell, you know. Um, but, yeah, no, you're right, Mary. She has to, she has to share a fucking bathroom with these dirty yeah. girls. Yeah, she's got to, She's in there brushing her teeth, and you know Mallory's in the fourth stall having the worst time of her life, and Buffy has to be like, you know, of all of the awful things I faced in my life, this might be the worst. This this might be an evil that I can't slay. <laughs> no, absolutely, absolutely. Um, yeah. We we I know we met Riley in Buffy's dream, but I do want to just note that like. Back when this was first was airing in like the late nineties, this was this body type was really jacked. Oh, and absolutely! Now it's like oh, mid, yeah, you know, <laughs> yeah, which is just you know, uh, incorrect. And In, but you're but no, absolutely. Like this at the time, because of the steroid situation these days, this was considered right. like oh man. But like now, guys are like you know juiced up like Welch's, and so it's different. Yeah, very, very different. Uh, salt is no longer a part or acceptable in any diet for a celebrity oh. that's going to be shirtless on television. Um, oh, my God. Yeah, no They're cutting. Sure. They're cutting. They're cutting. You know, it's also interesting, some backstory um, about the dream sequence. So I'm sure you kind of got the context that sometimes Buffy has premonitions as the Slayer. Like sometimes, you know, things come to her in dreams. Did you catch that? I mean, it, 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 I caught it this episode. I didn't know if that was a consistent thing. Yeah, that's definitely a thing. You see, the first time we see Giles, he's on the phone. He's actually on the phone with Buffy, and he's writing down the stuff that's hap that, you know, that happened in the dream. And he's just like, well, yeah, this, this could be one of those premonitions, but, you know, it's probably this. Um, but anyway, so, uh, and then he starts researching what Buffy tells him over the phone. Um, but anyway, what I thought was inter interesting about the dream is what you might not know is that Buffy has not had a very good track record when it comes to being intimate or getting close with people. Obviously, as the slayer, right, like sometimes you get close to somebody and they die, right? They get slain by a demon because that's her job or they become a demon themselves. So her last boyfriend was Angel, a vampire, uh, David Boreanaz, and she had to. She had to stake him. Oh, she pegged him. She pegged him. She, she fucking pegged that bitch. She fucking anyway, pegged him. So yeah. It's also no surprise then that like when she's having this dream, while the dream is a premonition about the gentleman, it's also an anxiety dream about getting too close to Riley. 
um, kind of being afraid of Riley or afraid of what's going to happen if she gets too close to him. And when, you know, she gets touched on the shoulder, she thinks it's supposed to be Riley, but she turns and it's one of the demons. So I just an interesting kind of another interesting thing about the show is, you know, they didn't have to do that. and They did. Yeah. I mean, it, I think, yeah, that, that, set up in the beginning of course I, you know going in i had no idea what was happening but like in retrospect right. um you know like when she says like you know when, when she gets on the table and and you know he kind of starts they basically they're they're doing a snow white situation um which i also thought was really smart to tie in like oh yeah, yeah. there's and the fact that these gentlemen are fairy tale characters i thought yeah yes. throw a little a little snow white reference in there i think i just needed to see somebody like eating an apple like just you know mm. and then it would have been you know uh some some little short guys walking around in the background a, little, a couple of short you know seven seven short kings you know in the top row of the classroom um but you know she says to riley like when he starts to kind of you know get all you know prince charming on her she's like oh this feels kind of weird and i think what feels weird is like everybody can see us yeah. and that like that checks out of like oh everybody can see us and and i don't i don't want this part you know this is not a part of me that i'm i'm comfortable with um but like and not she's not it. used to being seen as a slayer right so there's also that aspect uh yeah buffy buffy one of the themes that goes throughout the entire series is the idea that the slayer is always alone there's always isolation surrounding the slayer because the burden of saving the world every single day without anybody knowing you are uh, starts to weigh on you. Right. And it also separates you from others. Um, so again, like it's very hard for her to get close to people. Oh, well, uh, I don't, I won't ask what happens with Riley, but I will assume that he doesn't become like Mr. Summers by the end. Do you want to know? I mean, I, I I do, but I don't. What if there's somebody listening who's like, oh, don't tell me. Okay, yeah, then I'll tell you. Off I'll the find mic. out. I'll off the yeah, mic. it's an uh, interesting story arc that happens. But um, anyway, uh, moving moving right along, they lose. Uh, oh no, wait! Before we talk about uh, more of this episode and the themes, I do want to just talk about Nicholas Brendan and those boxer briefs. Yeah, he. You know, I feel like briefs. when I they seen were even him just boxers. Yeah. Yeah, when I'd seen him before, I guess it was like early in the show and he was still kind of like a, you know, floppy high school kid, but he he aged well by season 4. He started to look like a man. Mm, yes. I also feel like Z Xander was like our first as a as a culture, I think was our, our true introduction to the name Xander. Like I feel like it never existed to be before. Oh wow, that's a really great point. Yeah, yeah, I feel like I don't think I for, know a Xander before that. Yeah, but now whenever I hear that name, it's like that's what I think of first. And so the, there's so many people out there naming their cat Xander or, you know what I mean? Even their kids now, Xander. Zan. 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 What's that from? What's that movie where Zan? Oh, it's from The Little yes, Foxes. Friends Till the End. Oh. <laughs> oh. It's, yeah, that's uh, also from Friends Till the End with Shannon Doherty and Jeremy London. Oh, yeah, that. You know, uh, don't know that one. That one you have to watch. Oh, Wait, it's so Friends? trashy. It's, okay, hold on. Friends to the End was a uh, movies that rock original movie on VH1. Oh, and Shannon Doherty, she plays the lead singer oh, oh. of this band called Dead Pink. 
I've seen this. It's a, it's a, it's, it's a, so it's a horror good. movie. I've seen it's this. It's a thriller. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's like single oh. like female sort of. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Oh, this could be like a future. All right, scary. Oh my Please. god. It's so good. It's so. Oh, bad. I have it's it. Good. Yeah. Oh, I totally remember this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, I'm just looking at the cast. Be, if there's anybody. I don't want to hear about it. Don't be. I don't want to know about it anymore. Uh, yeah. Just, uh, it's burned in my memory. <laughs> Oh, that'll be great. Okay, well, put that on the list. Uh, friends to the end. Yeah. Oh my God. Um, this is uh, this is not related to anything, but I guess as we're talking about this episode and and the appearance of the gentlemen of these dandies, I did want to point out that the main gentleman is played by uh, what's his name, Doug Jones, who has been in a bunch of things, including The Shape of Water, and. He played the corpse guy in Hocus Pocus. Billy Butcherson. Oh, wait. Oh, he played Billy. Yeah. So a little Hocus Pocus connection. Right now. He's a contortionist. Yeah. Yeah. So he he played the like the amphibian guy in in, uh, uh, Shape of Water. I never saw that movie. I know I'm supposed to, but uh, I've Mm, never seen mm, that movie. No, a cat gets killed. Not worth it. Oh, shit. He's been in a lot. Of movies, wow! He's, He's been in a done ton a of lot stuff. of shit. He was in Tales from the Crypt. Yeah, oh, yeah. Okay. He was in Party of Five. fifty-five episodes of Star Trek Discovery. Interesting. Well, uh, love the gentlemen. Love how scary they are. You know, obviously, there's no dialogue here. Just some things happen, and I think it's worth kind of noting what's what's tied up, right? Uh, without words, right? Obviously, Buffy and Riley. You know, for the first however many episodes Riley's been in the show, talk around their attraction um, and they're just hiding their true selves. And it isn't until the words are taken away that, yes, they they kiss for the first time. They know they find out that, you know, one of them might be a military guy. The other one might be a slayer. (laughs) Don't ask. Don't (laughs) tell. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Yeah. and uh, Anya and Xander, um, you know, Xander can't express what Anya needs from him. And it isn't until, you know, they're in danger that Anya sees that Xander is in love with her, you know, and takes care of oh, her. Oh, yeah. That whole sequence where he comes home and it's like, what's his name? Spike is like leaning uh-huh. down to pick up pe- papers on the floor. And, <laughs> and what's her? Anya is like sleeping on the couch. And so Xander sees it as like. Oh, you you just, you know, bitter. sucking on my girl. You bitter. Um, and then they get into a little bit of a fight, which, you know, what's kind of interesting was like Spike. I mean, he like literally took it on the chin, but he also was like, oh, I mean, like there was this kind of funny, like, commute, like pantomime moment after the confusion was cleared where Xander was like, oh, sorry. And Spike just he didn't. He didn't seem too peeved about this. I thought as a vampire, he might be like, all right, enough of this. I'm going to I'm going to punch you in the face. Yeah, he's not allowed to hurt um, Xander or anybody without feeling like incredible pain in his head. So oh, I see. That's what the chip does. I see. Yeah. Got it. it. So, that, so he's Can't. he's like a Stepford spike. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He's a controlled vampire. Um Obviously, he can't go out in the sunlight, um, and I think they tie him up at night, not just to, like, 
because they're worried, but also because they don't want him to leave because he can he mm-hmm. can go out at night. You know, they don't want him to escape. Um, I think that's part of it. I can't really remember. But anyway, Spike is happy that they're taking care of him, right? Because they're giving him blood. They're keeping him alive. He's. I feel like now with that context, I think of him as like this, this like rabid dog that they've adopted and they've like put like the like invisible fence up and like there, there's certain like negative reinforcements for him to behave like a wild dog. Yeah. It, Spike has a very interesting story arc. You you wouldn't expect it when we first meet him in like the first season. Maybe it's the second season, but like, cause he's just this like, who's that uh, white wedding singer? Who am I thinking of? Billy Idol. Billy Idol. He's just like this Billy Idol British guy, um, you know, kind of trashy, but you know, he stuck around and then has like a full blown arc love story with Buffy. Yeah, it's he gets very uh, in into the show, um, very heavily invested into the lore as well. Um, but anyway, um, yeah, so their voices are taken away. Uh, some other themes kind of come up uh, when they're walking through the town. First of all, I just want to note how campy it is. Right. Like everything. Oh has decayed it's like cars so have crashed yeah there's there's just like it's it's apocalyptic destruction because everyone yes. lost their voice yeah 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 there's the religious imagery right with the the sermons going on in the streets and mm-hmm. uh it's it's just it's very funny but what i wanted to just bring up with you i wonder if you had any thoughts on this but the the silence imposed by the gentleman could also be seen as like a metaphor for how how Silence equals death. Well, I think it's like the the purpose of them taking everyone's voice is that they can't scream and interfere with the like destruction that they want to do and, and the heart stealing that they want to they want right. to do. And so like right. or tell the, whole the truth purpose, about what's going on, you know? Yeah. So the whole purpose of, of taking their voices is just to keep them as like silent victims and to not let the mm-hmm. word spread about what they're doing. Um, and I mean... <laughs> I guess the first thought I have there is like, sounds like Ronald Reagan in the eighties. <laughs> Mary, exactly. Silence equals death. Exactly. They don't want you to say anything. Um, it's important for people to tell the truth because you know if if we aren't telling our truth, then things go sour, right? And that that could be local. That could be global. Um, we need to be able to say things. Uh, we need to to be able to whistle blow, if you will. Um, because yeah, their uh, their silence equals death. We need to be able to speak and to communicate truths. Um, one of the scariest moments for me was when Tara is running from the gentleman, and you kind of forget that they don't have their voices for a second, and then she tries to to yell for help, and she can't. Oh God, it's yeah, uh, yeah. It's like thinking those about instinctual... that as a metaphor is scary. Yeah, it's it's like the instinctual response is is uh and that's interesting of like if if your instinctual survival response is taken away, what do you do? Yeah. Right. And I guess it's I mean, I guess in some cases like I think in this it it became kind of like it became a fight or flight thing and and you couldn't really run away from this. And so I think they're also all forced out of flight mode into fight mode. Mm. Um, mm. And, and in some ways, like all of the people who can't speak, like the, like those two guys that were going to fight on the street, like the way in which like, yeah, I don't know. There's something about like fight or flight mode when you can't communicate, like when the thing that makes us different from animals is taken away, yeah. 
immediately um, it's like, ah, oh, I'm just gonna fight. I'm just angry about it. Yeah, no. Yeah, no yeah. No it just question. becomes a much more like more visceral way of living. Yeah. What I also think about is interesting about that Tara Chase scene is as she's knocking on the doors, right? Like, put yourselves or put yourself in the position of that girl in the bed, like. I'm not going to answer the door, you know? Well, no. yeah. It might come get, it might be coming to get me. Uh, and I think that also relates to the Reagan era, right? The, the, the fear around AIDS and HIV, right? It's like, you know, they might be calling for help, but I don't want to help them. Cause what if, what if I get hurt? You'll you know? just expose yourself potentially. Yeah. yeah. Well, and that, yeah. that whole moment was also like from, from more of just like a, a movie reference standpoint it was also very reminiscent of in Halloween when Laurie Strode in the original Halloween when Laurie Strode is like banging on the neighbor's door and they like and, she, and mm. she's screaming and they, they turn on the lights and then they turn them off again so it's like whatever you're screaming about I don't want to be a part of yeah. and like that idea that you could be that's one of the things I think is interesting about Halloween and interesting about something like this is that you know you, you think of something like Friday the 13th or Texas Chainsaw Massacre where the chase scene is happening in the middle of nowhere. So there's nobody there to help you. And But you would think like, oh, on a busy college campus or in the middle of like a suburban neighborhood in, in Illinois, like somebody will open their door. Somebody will respond. But like I even think of myself, if there was like crazy shit going on outside, the last thing I'm going to do is involve myself. Mary, I'm the there could be somebody that just rings my buzzer. I'm going to pretend like I'm not home. Oh, army crawling on the floor. Absolutely laying in the tub like Sydney Sweeney in Euphoria, hoping they'll leave. Absolutely. Mary, I hear my neighbors leave their apartment and I freeze and I turn down yeah. whatever I'm watching. Cause I just, I don't right. I know I'm home. <laughs> I don't even know. I like, I've been chewing. I stopped chewing, you know? Oh my God! It's it, so yeah no, but that instinct is very interesting uh, that they just you know expose here right like yeah I'm not gonna answer the door, uh, and it is eerie when you think about the '80s when you think about people needing help and people not wanting to give it. It also what you're reminding me of also is uh, the that Black Mirror episode. Uh, what is it the the white bear? A white bear, uh huh. Yeah, where they're just filming her. Right, right. And like, to be honest, that's probably more likely to happen, you know, uh, than people running to your aid is like more, more people are going to film it than help you. Oh, that's so eerie to me. Yeah. It's just like, oh God, it's so scary. Um, But yeah, anyway, um, there's some jump scares. One scene that I love is the overhead projector scene for multiple reasons, right? Obviously there's like that, those cheesy jokes about, jerking off and boobies and stuff like that Mm -hmm. um and the idea of an overhead projector i think is uh just you know nostalgic um well just those little details sound of it go ahead yeah yeah the being in a dark room like there's something Mm -hmm. immediately kind of lulling about the whole experience um i mean i think that's one of the things you know the and it's just the the tone of the show is just like you know there's jokes folks there's jokes there's jokes and so like You know, there's more slides. There's he's he's made unnecessary transparencies just to like <laughs> yes. for a humorous beat. Similarly, earlier in the movie, when Riley and and Forrest or Gates or whatever uh-huh. he goes by the other guy when they're in the elevator and they can't do the voice recognition, and then he, so Riley's like struggling to like put in the code or whatever, and Forrest writes on a piece of paper, "Come on, come on," and it's like, "Oh, come <laughs> on, it's so stupid." It is so stupid. Um, yeah, yeah. There's uh, that beat uh, as well when Riley, 
you know, she's like, smash it, smash it, smash it. And mm-hmm. he smashes the jar and he's like all proud. And she's like, oh, you fucking idiot. She does this little <laughs> like face thing. moment of like, oh, no, the, the box. It, that was really good. Um, but one of my favorite little details, and you wouldn't know this if you didn't know Anya's backstory, but, you know, Anya's trying to be more like a human um, every episode. And I love that Anya's eating popcorn because that's what humans do in dark rooms while watching a projection. Yeah, right. Like, she's like, I've got enough details. This is what you do, right? And there, there like, is, oh, I, I guess. I be the- eating popcorn. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. And there is, I guess, in the context of knowing her, there is kind of a performance that she's doing. Um, mm. was, wasn't there even like when when the projection was backwards it cuts to her like doing this yeah. gesture of like turn it around yeah <laughs> um she is my favorite character of Buffy the Vampire Slayer Anya like n- no question hands down um recurring character I should say um she is uh there's so much about her that I love I cherish her um there's so much comedic kind of timing with that character and that actress um, I just love her. Many people would argue that Charisma Carpenter is like the best. Um, I oh, She leaves and goes right. to Angel for season four. Mm-hmm. So she's not really in season uh, season four through seven. But um, uh, and, and many people like Faith. I don't think Faith is uh, what I mean when I say like a recurring character. I mean, like, you know, you see her name in the credits um, every mm-hmm. uh, every episode instead of, you know. And guest starring and with yeah. and featuring, right? Right, um, right. Because obviously Faith I fucking love. And I think every gay man loves Faith. But And who plays um, Faith? Anya is the next one. Faith is Eliza Dushku. Oh, that's Eliza Duke Shoes. Right, because that's <laughs> right. There's Eliza Duke Shoes. There's Charisma Carpenter who plays mm. – uh, she's kind of like the Amber. Cordelia of, Chase. Yes. Yeah, Cordelia. She's kind of the Amber of, of, oh, of Buffy in my mind. Cordy. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And then Julie yeah. Benz plays um, another vampire, uh, Angel's like ex girlfriend. Um, she's she's an, a, a name you might know. I know the name Julie Benz. Okay. I feel like she is like I don't know. What, I feel like she was on a TV show that I didn't watch. I want to say it was like. Hold on, I can tell you because it's like Both sticking to me. It's like. <laughs> Why do I know Julie Benz? Dexter. Okay. She was on Dexter. She was on Dexter. And there was something else. Oh, she was in the movie Jawbreaker, which I never saw. Um, I don't know. Julie Benz and I. You never saw Jawbreaker? Interesting. No. I know. That's such an omission. Um, well, I will say Darla is one of the. God, it's just a very tragic character. I will say this just very lightly. I'll just throw this into this episode. Many of the female characters in Joss Whedon's worlds are very tragic. Um, And it's a part of a larger critique of his writing. But um, that's a whole other podcast. Oh, I think Um, I do know about a lot of girls dying. So that I see that that I feel because I feel like without ruining anything, I feel like I know that. Michelle Trachenberg, I feel like she doesn't survive to the end. I feel like she does. Oh, she does. Well, see, what do I know? I thought that she. I thought Dawn died. Maybe I'm thinking of Tara. Well, regardless, uh, that's a critique of his. But anyway, um, yeah, I, uh, you know, the the episode ensues. Right? Uh, there's action. It's action packed. There's great music, and they finally get. The, the the gentleman um, and along the way the 
the characters are empowered. Uh, they level up without using their words, which I think is just, I don't know, chef's kiss. Love this episode so much. I'll say, so at the end, you know, because the, the whole idea is like, you know, and, and at one point Buffy asks uh, Giles, like, how do I get my voice back? How, you know, because the whole idea is if you scream, you can then get all these guys to, to very, again, very Are You Afraid of the Dark? It was such an Are You Afraid of the Dark kind of solution. And um, and so at the end, like, yeah, he, uh, what's his snakes? Riley breaks the box and Buffy gets her voice back and she lets out a scream. I, listen. I just want, I wanted like Sigourney Weaver. I wanted, you know what I mean? I wanted like just a, like a soul shattering scream. And I thought SMG's got more than that. Take two. Well, Mary, do you want the fun fact? Yes. That wasn't Sarah Michelle Gellar. I knew it. I've seen her in things. I've seen, I know you did last summer. Helen Shivers gives more. She's a giver. Uh Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah, shivers, givers. Cece runs and screams. This, I was like, who is this? Mary Gross? Mary Steenburgen? Like, who did they get to do this voice? Yeah, it was another actor. Uh, it was not Sarah Michelle Gellar. That, so, that to me was, because I just, I just felt like this is such a big moment, and it's Sarah Michelle, you know, Sarah Michelle Parker. Uh, I just... I don't know. That was my one thing that I was a little like, oh, come on. You know, like go to the Joe Beth Williams school of screaming. Give me back my babies. You know, like that's all. Oh <laughs> Grab your sister's hand. Come on. Come on. <laughs> come on. Now oh my grab God. your sister. Now yeah. grab your sister. Come on. Come on. Uh, yes. Uh, no, not her scream. And yes. Very anticlimactic. I was like mad about the scream. Uh, okay, well, I'm glad I'm good. So. Yeah, I'm glad I'm not alone because that's really uh, that's important. Yeah. Uh, well, I I don't expect you to continue watching Buffy the Vampire Slayer, but if you do want to stay in this college world, if you want something completely different, uh, do let me know. If you want it to like focus on something else. Um, I, I'm happy to give you or any of our Marys listening some uh, recommendations. I'm also happy for Marys to chime in and be like, hey, uh, I want to geek out on this for a second. Hush also says this about humanity, and there's also this theme. We want to hear that. Um, so Marys out there, keep geeking out on Buffy because it, it, the, the show is so much bigger than just, you know, a, a hot chick kicking butt. Ugh, it's like not even what the show is about at all. Uh, I will say in my head the entire time watching this episode, I just kept thinking of that song Crush by Jennifer Page. So I just kept singing, it's, it's just, just a little a hush. Little Not like I'll lose my voice time every time the gentlemen are here. I don't know. I just, uh, that's what I thought. So maybe that'll be our, our the song that plays us out this episode is a little bit of Jennifer Page. Mm, come on. Come on, hush. Yeah. Uh, hush on, the hush. girls. <laughs> Uh, hush the girls. Not to be confused with Hush with Jessica Lange and Gwyneth Paltrow. Yes, yes. I love that movie. Oh, I just, Mary, I just watched a Gwyneth Paltrow movie, and I didn't know I was about to watch a Gwyneth Paltrow movie last week. I watched The Perfect Murder. Oh, with Michael Douglas. Yes. And Vivian that Mortensen. Was, that was in that weird era where Gwen. that was like 97. She was in like four or five different movies. Mary. And that, 
I really like that movie. I thought it was great, and she is awesome in it. All right, because it's basically like a remake of Dial M for Murder, right? I don't know, because I don't know what Dial M for Murder is, but I will say that Seema from Sex and the City and Just Like That and Steve are both in The Perfect Murder. Oh, I'm looking at that. Well, you know what I, I love? Like, this is so 1998. Excuse me, this was 98, 97. But I love that Seema is playing a woman named Raquel Martinez. Yes, exactly. I mean, yes. it's just like, that's so 98. Well, like, kind eh, of fits. brown, yeah. brown. <laughs> it's all good enough. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Uh, oh, wow. No, it's, uh, it was good. It was good. It was, it's kind of like one of those Diabolique type of movies yeah all right thriller I... kicks i don't like horror i like thriller yeah mm. well you should watch hush yeah i probably watch hush i want to watch taking lives with uh angie jolie um and ethan Hawke. taking lives i don't know that one either taking Li- that's another like 2004 2003 type of movie oh um, last I time see. i saw it was in the theaters yeah, there's like a big twist oh. at the end. I like movies with twists. I like mystery thrillers. You know, Silence of the Lambs isn't really a horror movie. It's more of a psychological thriller. I like those movies. Um, Talk to Me was a horror movie. Like that's a. I watched movie. it. Oh, I watched what it. What did you think? On, I thought it was. You know, I thought it was. I thought it was good. I thought it was. Um, there were like a couple things where I was like, oh, that's weird, but like. I thought it was overall a cool movie. I did think that, like, man, that kid, like, just goes through it. The the little brother. It was like, yeah. I don't think anyone's ever come to the end of the movie, like, that that beaten up. It was like a Looney Tunes cartoon. It was really, it was really hard to watch. It was yeah. nuts. But I thought that the main actress, I thought she, like, went through the ringer. I thought she was really oh, good. Yeah. yeah, she was like, uh, yeah, I feel like it's like a Zendaya type of... Um, storyline right she's dealing with addiction she's you know figuring herself out um, yeah it's good I like yeah, it. yeah it was interesting um, well you know uh, good luck with your with your thriller search I'm trying I, I of course at the top of my head I can't think of you know but I feel like there's there's a wonderful genre of like early 90s like unlawful entry and Pacific Heights Sliver. And, sliver like there's these early 90s like sometimes somewhat sexy but sometimes just like slick like studio thrillers and i think um yeah the remake of the desperate hours from 1990 you might enjoy um but oh yeah i mean like just anything that madeline stowe is in before the year 1995 you'll probably find some winners okay all right good to know yeah, I'm, I've been enjoying that genre because it keeps me engaged and distracted from like my job and all of the stress going on in my mind. So, um, yeah. Well, I feel like good. those movies, especially from the early 90s, like sometimes there's twists and whatnot. But in general, it when I watch those movies, I feel like I am on a I'm on a date in the early 90s this is like a, a people in their 30s going to the movies for a date dad in 93 movies, yeah dad yeah. movies movies, movies, dad movies yeah. yeah like and i just think there's a there's a feeling to those that i'm like oh okay i'll i like this oh you should watch an eye for an eye with sally field yes yes the that opening's opening a little intense ju- i'm just like ah can i skip it you know is it well it the only reason you i do the only reason you can't skip it is because Sally is giving up well, her yeah. 
performance. No, no, she's incredible. <laughs> she's incredible. She's incredible. incredible. Running through traffic, screaming like, oh, the balloons. Yeah. It's a work yeah, of yeah. art. Yeah, I mean, it's it's why we like copycat, or why I like yes. copycat. Yeah, like, thriller, it's, good performance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and especially that like late, late, late eighties, early nineties, like eighty nine to ninety five. I think there's a lot of good stuff in there. Mm. Yeah. Oh, I just found anyway, a list well, on IMDb of oh. the best 90s psychological thrillers. So maybe I'll send that to oh, you. Please do. What's the number oh, one? Oh, uh, well, the number one is Silence of the Lambs. Um, oh. But have you seen The Talented Mr. Ripley lately? Oh, not lately, but I love that movie. Oh, oh my God. We did it on Best Supporting Podcast a couple months ago, and I was like, so this gay. movie, yeah. it's so gay. Oh my God. It's so gay. It's wonderful. Um, it wasn't even gay enough. Like I feel like the wasn't it a book first. Apparently the book was, it was. Like, actually gay. Where the movie was like, oh, he's sort of in love with him, but he's more obsessed with him. It was well then because then he kind of has the relationship with Jack Davenport with the other guy, the, the the actual gay guy in the movie, and that's very gay. Oh, is that? But is that like we see them? Oh, we do see, and he kills him. <gasps> he kills him at the end. Oh yeah, yeah that's and Kate so Blanchett sad. is. But oh, yeah, and Kate Blanchett movie. is amazing. She's like perfect best supporting actress in that movie. Like she's, uh, it's like the perfect size role. So that's a high recommend. Okay, I'll rewatch that one. They uh, Amazon keeps uh, saying like you should watch this one, you should watch this one. So uh, mm-hmm. okay, I will, I will. Uh, yeah, I've kind of not one. been watching because I'm like I already saw it, you know. Oh, I I got so because I had already seen it too, but I was so swept up in just how beautiful it was and how just like yeah, it's Philip Seymour movie. Hoffman is great. In yeah, it. Oh. oh, he's so good. <gasps> that one he's... scene where he like he's on to Matt Damon's character. He yep. does this thing with his hand. Yeah, you, you uh-huh. know that gesture. Are you you know I, what I'm talking about with the hand? Gesture? I, I do, oh, so. I do. I know exactly what you're talking about because we talked about it. Because oh, it, there's a fagginess to his character that I was yes. really like, and it's, and it's this like gay paw that he does. Um, mm-hmm. Oh, it's, oh, it's such a good movie. Oh God, we should do that one day. That's like a maybe oh. that's a, a late fall movie. You know, it is. We're it's gonna got be swept fall up vibes. in uh, Dragula, but yeah. Yeah, it it could also be a spring movie. Like it's a it's an anytime. Like it's just okay. um oh my god, that movie was so good. So, uh Anyway, well Marys, we have All Right Scary next week and it is a doozy. Mary, oh, do you want to uh, drum roll uh drum roll us and tell us what it is? I would be honored. We are going to be heading to the sleepy town of Nilbog in Troll 2. <laughs> Nilbog is goblin backwards. Is goblin backwards. Just, <laughs> yeah. I am so excited about this. I have this movie is is deeply imprinted in my childhood. It is one of those like things I saw as a kid that scared me because I didn't understand what I was looking at. It's still unsettling in a way. Mm. It's the kind of movie where you're like, I do. There is actually now a lot more about the making of it. There's the documentary best best worst movie ever, um, mm. which I don't know if you've seen, but it's worth a watch I'm not, if you get a chance. I, I should watch it. I will watch it. Then. Oh yeah, um, you should. Yeah, I think, you don't I think need to see Troll One to know to watch no, Troll Two. No connection. That's the best. There's no connection in any way. It is such a strange movie, and I. I mean, the mother. Oh my god. It's it's going to be so much fun. The witch. 
Oh my god, the popcorn. Oh my god, the ending. The ending. Oh god, I can't wait. Well, Marys, we'll see you next week for Troll Two. In the meantime, keep it spooky. Be safe, and uh, eat that candy. You know, because it's the freshest right now. Yeah, the, the the pumpkins. You know, in in the words of Sandra Lee, keep it smart, keep it simple, keep it sweet, and keep it always semi homemade. Totsies. And in the words of Jocelyn Fox, keep it foxy. Wah, wah. <laughs>